Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. And what we've come to today, although it is a beginning, it's also the end of the beginning. It's actually a culmination of that last two years. And actually, dare I say it as well, before that, God was moving things around in my life, in our life, in your life, in the life of this building to make this happen today. I'm so happy about that. Come on, let's show God uh, uh, how grateful we are of what he's already done and what he's going to do. It's a seed. Seeds are amazing. The tiniest thing like an acorn contains so much potential. And I really believe that a small seed planted in faith will flourish and multiply. A small seed planted in faith will flourish and it will multiply. When we read um, in the Gospels, Jesus, he often spoke in, in parables and little stories. And one of the little parables that he told was of a sower who goes out to sow seed. And when the seed falls on good soil, it multiplies 30 60 and 100 times seeding good soil, it just multiplies and flourishes. And I really think that actually good soil is faith. And I've got faith, and I know a lot of you guys have got faith that we are planting something here that's going to flourish and it's going to grow. And I'm so excited about seeing where this is going to end up. We've got to trust God. We're not trusting in Adam or through, or what any of us can do. We're trusting in the one who's got limitless potential, who is omnipotent, yeah? And because of that, he can do anything. It says that um, uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, what does it say? It says, um, it's gone out of my head. It was in there for a moment. Um, It says God uh, can do um, exceedingly above all that we can imagine uh, or dream. And according to um, his good work that works in his power that works in us, he can do amazing things. When, uh, when Abraham first got told in Genesis chapter 12 that he was going to be the father of, of nations and he had no children, he believed it. And actually it's really interesting, 10 years after that, uh, read in chapter 15 that God again makes the promise again. And Abraham says to God, God, I haven't even got a child. How can I be the father of many nations? Or, you know, I don't even have a child. And God doesn't say to him, I'm going to give you a child. God takes him outside, says, come outside, look up at the stars. You can't even count them. And I actually think, you know, Abraham's expectation because of God's promise was for a child. Actually, God's thinking was exceedingly above that. And I think sometimes it's good that God doesn't meet our expectations because he plans to exceed them. And so, you know, I just, I'm just so looking forward to seeing where we're going to be months, years uh, from now. So this right here is our acorn. It's our seed. It's a seed planted in faith. And I'm sure we're going to see a harvest. So we're in this uh, series, we're going to start this new series today called Smashing It, 
smashing it for the next five weeks. We're going to be looking at different areas of our life where we want to do better, where we want to be smashing it. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of a, a contemporary term, smashing it. It means you're doing something really well. Okay, so smashing it. And we want to do, and today we're going to be looking specifically at relationships. It's a good time to think about doing better at life, uh, New Year. It's kind of a blank sheet. It's uncharted territory. It's a time where we make New Year's resolutions, thinking about what we want to start doing, what we want to stop doing, what we want to uh, keep doing but do better. And this time, more than any other time of year, our thinking is, is crammed with good intentions, isn't it? We have, whether it's to do with our diet, whether it's to do with fitness or health, we use New Year to start and to, to make, have good intentions to start new processes. Uh, so now we're nearly one week into the New Year. Many New Year's resolutions will be broken already. Funny, I made a New Year's resolution to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can do it. Oh, thank you. That's good. Actually, I heard a prayer as well, a New Year's prayer. that said went something like this. My prayer for 2019 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please, God, don't get them mixed up like you did last year. Yeah, we can all relate to that, I'm sure. So the idea of smashing it is to, is to give us tools for living the best life that we can live. But before we embark on this journey this five-week journey looking at different areas, I think it's important to, to understand what we're not going to do. We're not going to get quick fixes, okay? We need to be realistic. We're not looking, and I'm not about to give you, okay, if you put this into your life in the next 10 minutes, your life will turn around. You know, we live like that. You know, I heard, actually, I saw on Christmas Eve, Amazon was offering two-hour deliveries from when you order it to when they deliver it on Christmas Eve. I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, and we like to have things instant. But in the things that matter, it doesn't work like that. Actually, what we need is small, consistent, steady steps moving in the right direction. There are no quick fixes for issues of life. If there's one overarching um, idea, I guess, for the whole of this series, it's this. Would you put the screen, the screen up, uh, please? And it's actually, it's not mine. It's not original. It's not mine. It's by a, a pastor called Andy Stanley. Um, and he says this, direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. We can have the best intentions. Maybe we can even visualize and articulate where we want to end up. Maybe something like, I don't know, losing, this year I want to lose two stone, or this year I want to change my career, or this year I want to have more savings, or I'd like to quit smoking, or I'd like to see Sunny Hill Ferndown grow to 200 people. Whatever our intentions are, we can have, we can have good intentions and that's really good to have goals but it's not enough it's not enough it's really good to be able to see where you want your life to end up to be honest about your current condition but it's not enough we've got to be moving 
in the right direction. Direction, not intention, determines destination. And as I was thinking about this, I remembered something from my childhood. Uh, Katie, uh, who was singing this morning, actually I just want to do a big shout out for Katie and her family who come here. They drive like 50 minutes on a Sunday morning to come here uh, to help serve and put this together. So thank you guys. Uh, yeah, so, so grateful, really. When I was growing up, Katie had just passed your, I don't know if you remember this, you'd just passed your driving test. And I think you wanted to go to Manchester. We lived in the Midlands at the time. And she got in her car intending to go to Manchester. But she'd always driven south on the M6 before, never north. And so she got on the M6 and went south because that's the way she'd always gone. Do you remember that? Was that right? It was something like that, wasn't it? You wanted to get, and you went in completely the wrong, sorry, I'm embarrassed, you know. Yeah. Uh, she wanted to go in one direction. She knew where she wanted to go. Her intention was to get to Manchester, but she ended up going the same way that she'd always gone. And I think that's the same is true so often. For us, we can have the best intention we can know our, what we want in our destination, but sometimes we're just not moving in the right direction. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. We don't even need to go quickly. We just need to be moving in the right direction at some kind of steady, consistent pace. And we need to change our expectations that we need to get anywhere we want to get quickly in life. And I think we'll be amazed at how far we can actually get with just small, steady steps. Last week, um, here, we had a, a couple of services here. The Sunny Hill Pool uh, campus, they actually met here last week because the place where they normally met uh, was closed. And Richard, the operations pastor of Sunny Hill, he spoke and he said, uh, he did kind of an introduction to the Bible reading plan. And one of the things he said was, in terms of reading the Bible, uh, which is kind of a funny thing to say at the beginning of a new year, he said, lower the bar. Lower, or, lower your expectations. It's not the kind of message you want to hear in church, really. But he's absolutely right. Sometimes we can say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole Bible every week this year. Um, and then actually after week, what you just burn out and you crash and you burn and you never actually get anything done. He was saying, no, choose where you know you're going to be consistent and follow through with that. Steady, continual progress is far more effective at getting us where we want to be and we're less likely to burn out or give up on the way. So that's the mindset I want us to have for this series. Let's not expect to fix everything in our relationships in our work, in our finances, in all our life issues within the next few weeks. But I honestly think if we can commit to be moving in the right direction, being consistent, I think that we'll look back a year from now and we'll be amazed at how far we've come. It reminds me of a holiday um, that our family has had. We've done this a number of times where we've been on a boat uh, in Norfolk, on the Norfolk Broads. Has anybody else been boating on the Norfolk Broads? Yeah, it's a great holiday. I remember the first time I was, uh, we were married, it was the first time we were going to go on one of these boats. I was really looking forward to getting there, getting on one of these cruises and speeding along the river, glass of pims in hand, waving smugly at the people on the bank. 
If anybody else has done it, you'll know that you had the speed limit of four miles an hour. All right, so it was like, oh, that is so disappointing. And as you're driving or, you know, churgling along on the river, the people on the bank are actually overtaking you. They're walking and they're waving smugly at you. But over the course of the week, it's amazing how far you go. There's like 150 miles of waterways, and you can do the whole thing in a week just by going at four miles an hour consistently a few hours a day at getting there. And that's the approach I want us to have. So that's my intro done. Uh, today we're looking at relationships, which is a uh, crucial thing for all of us. We're all in many relationships. We all have lots of people that we have to relate to and interact with. Some of our relationships are deeper than others. Uh, Some of our relationships are probably more successful than others. Uh, So I think we can all get more consistent. We can all learn something. And uh, we're going to be looking at particularly the words of Jesus and the stories that Jesus tells in these few weeks about how we can approach our interactions and our relationships uh, with other people. Is there a way that we can relate to people that is more effective than the way that we're currently doing? I know certainly for me, there is definitely uh, more I could do. Now, Jesus tells another amazing story in the Gospels that's become, perhaps it's become a little bit too familiar. Uh, We can miss its uh, revolutionary message. If I say to you the words, the Good Samaritan, everybody's heard of the Good Samaritan. In fact, the word uh, Good Samaritan has become a little bit of a figure of speech uh, in, kind of in the world context. And obviously the Samaritans uh, do a great job. But in its original context, it was so much more. And it was actually pretty radical and revolutionary. And the, uh, the account starts with two teachers asking Jesus uh, two questions. Actually, it wasn't two teachers. It was two lawyers, two teachers of the law, they come to Jesus and they ask him two questions. Um, The first one asks Jesus, uh, which is the greatest commandment? And in reply, Jesus says, well, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. At which point, I'm sure the crowd who were around at the time were like, yeah, 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 a little bit of a cricket clap there. That's, that's very, very good. We, we all agree with that one. Uh, uh, love the Lord your God with all our, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, that's what I thought was the greatest command. But Jesus doesn't stop. He goes, and the second one is just like it. We go, Hold on a minute. I asked you which was the greatest commandment. Singular. And you're now coming with... Two. Kind of what's going on here? Shaking up, shaking things up a little bit. And Jesus says, the second one is just like it. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. What? So loving your neighbor is now on a par with loving God? That's radical. That's pretty revolutionary. That's totally New Testament. That's not Old Testament thinking at all. This is a brand new thing. And then another teacher, another teacher of the law comes along and asks another question. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus, he kind of knows, actually, there's a question behind the question. There's something you're not saying here. So he turns it back to him and says, what do you think? And the man says, teacher of the law, he's obviously been listening because he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, yes, good one. You've got it. You've, you've, you've nailed it. That's what you have to do. At which point the real question comes out. The teacher of the law says, well, who is my neighbor? And the Bible says, actually, it says he wants to justify himself. So he asks, who is my neighbor? He kind of wants to know, where's the line, Jesus? I need to know who my neighbor is so I can go up to the line and, you know, maybe no further. I just want to make sure that I'm doing all that I need to do to get eternal life. And, well, this is when Jesus then launches into the story of the good Samaritan. I expect we all have our own idea on what the word neighbor means. What do you think it means? What do you think neighbor means to you? Maybe you think of the person in the house who lives next door. Or maybe it's other people who live on your street. Or maybe it's your close circle of of friends and acquaintances, people who are like you. That was the ancient Jewish way of thinking about neighbor. And we know this because in Leviticus, uh, we we read this, uh, if you put up, Leviticus, it says, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But, and here it is, love your neighbor as yourself. So this was an Old Testament way of thinking about neighbor. Neighbor was your people. For a Jewish, uh, Jewish person, it was other Jews. That was their neighbor. But Jesus wants to put a pin in that. He wants to say, no, no, no. Things have changed. And so he comes with a story of the good Samaritan. Jesus wants to mess with their heads again. So let's just quickly read through this. Luke chapter 10 from verse 30 says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So, so far, so good. There is a kind of an assumption that the man who gets beaten uh, is a fellow Jew. And whenever we read or we hear a story, we like to put ourselves in the shoes of one of the characters, usually the hero. And as the people were listening to Jesus at this point, I think they wanted to put themselves in the shoes of the man who gets beaten up. And then they can look at the the Levite and the priest and go, yeah, really, they didn't love their neighbor quite right. They didn't do what what the law tells them to do. They they kind of missed it a little bit here. But at the same time, you know, that, that journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was a bit of a dangerous journey. And you can understand why they might you know, want to pass on the other side because it's a dangerous place. It was known as the bloody way, that path from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, you know, it might actually be a trap. If I go over and start tending to them, robbers might be waiting to get me. So actually, you can understand why I might not fulfill that particular law at this particular time. Um, But Jesus goes on. But a Samaritan, 
as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now surely Jesus is not going to make a Samaritan the hero of this? A Samaritan is definitely not, not my neighbor. The Samaritan actually represents pretty much the opposite of, of neighbor. Not my kind of person at all, really. Um, and if we think about what a Samaritan was to ancient Jews, and then try and put it into modern day context, people who are not just not like us, there are people who are against everything that we stand for. There are people who we want nothing to do with. I don't know, is there any, anybody in your world who might fit that description? Hopefully not, maybe not. Um, but, you know, people who don't believe what you believe, criminals, dare I say pedophiles, somebody who you would think, no, 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 that's not my neighbor. That's not my neighbor. They deserve all the judgment that would come to them. They're not my neighbor. But Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. He carries on. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is too much. This is really too much. You're not only making the Samaritan the hero. The hero is actually going above and beyond. He didn't just stop at the side of the road. He went above and beyond. He put him on his own donkey. He paid for stuff out of his own money. He said he was going to come back the next, the next day. This is really too much. So Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law, he can't bring himself to say Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. So Jesus says in this story, you're not the injured man. You're not the priest or the religious person. You're not even the robber. You're the Samaritan. In essence, he's redefining the concept of neighbor. He's saying, there isn't anybody who is not your neighbor. Nobody anymore is not your neighbor. There's no one off limits. And how do we love our neighbor? We love them by not crossing over the other side, by not ignoring them, doing whatever we can to help them, to encourage them, to show them kindness above and beyond whatever the cost. And I guess I want you to make this the, the starting point of, of, of smashing it in our relationships, defining who our neighbor is, which is everyone. Who should we be thinking about our relationships with? Everyone and anyone. Look at everyone we meet, everyone in our life, close family members, someone you meet at a checkout, an acquaintance, somebody who has deeply offended you. And we need to consider them as our neighbor. And we need to love them as we love ourselves. It's a simple concept, but it's not easy. Simple, not easy. So I'm just going to finish by giving us five, five principles to get us moving in the right direction. Remember, small, steady steps in the right direction. First principle, 
Time with Jesus. Spending time reading the word, praying, getting to know what Jesus said. Okay, it's the best way to change our thinking, to get us moving in the right direction, is to learn from the one who did it best. And I would encourage you, if you're not following a Bible plan already, there is one on the Sunny Hill Church website, sunnyhill.church, on the front page, there is a Bible reading plan. This year we're doing something different. Last year we read the whole Bible in a year. This year we have decided to just do a single book every month. And the idea is to read less, but to think more, to go a bit deeper into the text and start to actually think about how we might apply what we're reading. So for the, for the month of January, we're looking at the book of Mark, and I would encourage you to join with us as we do that. Uh, and again, you'll find that plan on our website. Don't save Jesus for Sunday. Meet with him and be with him every day. Principle number two, choose to grow. Take responsibility for yourself in terms of building relationships. Get to know people. Invite people to dinner. I would encourage you to show hospitality to people. It tells us to do that. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us show hospitality. Open our homes uh, to people. Meet with people midweek. We have a whole array of, of interest groups and small groups uh, at Sunny Hill. We have a Ferndown group that meets on a Wednesday Come and meet with us. It's where we get to know people better and invest in our relationships. People who are going to be there to support us when we need help. And people that we can support when they need help. So, choose to grow. Choose to maybe serve on a team. Ask Fru or myself about where you might help out on a Sunday. There's nothing better in meeting people than, than serving together. And you'll have fun along the way too. Be encouraging to people. And uh, show people kindness. And now I've got three more principles, which are all really about extending grace. I'm going to talk more about extending grace in my message next week. But if you think of, of uh, think about an engine. An engine has moving parts. A relationship is a bit like that. It's, it's two people kind of moving together. And I would think grace is the oil between two parts, two people in a relationship. And the more grace you can apply, the less friction there is, uh, the more you'll you get along and the better relationship you can have. So the next three principles are all about extending grace. So the, uh, principle number three, expect to give. Go into all your relationships expecting to give, not to get. Be a net giver rather than a, a, a net taker. Now I know we go through seasons where we need to lean on people more, but our expectation uh, should always be, how can I give into this person? How can I help this person? In Galatians chapter 6, it tells us to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? Well, through what he mentioned it, we've already seen how Jesus managed to boil down all 613 Old Testament commandments to love the Lord your God and love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, just before he goes to the cross, we read in John 13 that he boils it down even further, which is what Fru called the platinum command, which is um, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples. It's not an additional command. We don't need to add this command to all the other 600 plus commands. We don't even need to add it to the Ten Commandments. Okay, We can replace all those other commands with this one command. uh, Love one another. As Jesus loved us, so we should love other people. And it's that way that people will know that we are followers of Jesus. It's not about how loud we sing in worship. It's not about how much money we put into the offering. It's not about how often or how loud we pray or how often we read the Bible. It's all about loving people. Jesus' one command, love people as he loved us. Jesus comes along and tells us our love and service for God is best demonstrated in our love and service for each other. If you think about your relationship with God as being a vertical thing and your relationship with other people as being horizontal, this is how Jesus said our our vertical uh, relationship will be better when we sort out our horizontal relationship. So number four, I'm going to move quite quickly now, serve with humility. Approach all our relationships with humility. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, In your relationships with one another, uh, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love what it says again in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel from his around his waist and began to wash their feet. He had all power and so he washed their feet. He had all power and so he began to wash their feet. Approach all our relationships in the same way, with humility, humbly. Whose feet did Jesus wash? He washed all his disciples, including Peter, the one who would um, deny him, and Judas, the one who would betray him. Just two or three hours before, he's there washing his feet. There's nobody who's not our neighbor. No one. Okay, and finally, point number five, repair the broken. Repair the broken. Put right where you can those relationships that are not all they should be, as far as you can. The Sermon on the Mount has so much to say about our approach to relationships, and you can read that in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, chapter 5 to 7. And at one point, talking about relationships, he says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... Offering your gift at the altar. This is a good thing, right? Bring in your, your worship, your gift to God. What could be more important than that? Well, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. He's telling us that reconciliation with other people is actually more important than bringing our worship bring in our gift, bring in our offerings. It's more important that we put our 
horizontal relationships right before we start to think about our vertical relationships. Actually, they're one and the same. The way we show love for God is by showing love for each other. We've got to go horizontal before we can go vertical. I know it's not always possible to fix a broken relationship, but actually I guess I'm just asking you to take those small, steady steps towards, towards that person. God has challenged me on someone this week that I need to put right, and uh, I'm going to arrange a meeting this coming week with someone who I can put that relationship right. And I wonder, who is there in your life that actually you think, yeah, that's not all it should be, that particular relationship. Well, I would encourage you, take steps towards repairing that relationship. Amen? Amen. Okay. Um.